and welcome to our podcast, Witness to Hope, for the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time. I am Tim Potter. And I'm Stephanie Potter. Uh, The readings for this week start with uh, a reading from the book of Exodus. It's at the time when the Israelites have already escaped Egypt, uh, and God has delivered them out of Egypt. And it's Moses up on the mountain talking to God. And God is very angry because the Israelites are down there worshiping this golden calf and just acting crazy. And God's pretty much convinced he's going to smite them. Uh, So Moses in the story begs God to show mercy and reminds God of the promise that he made to Abraham that he would multiply his children like the stars in the sky and the sand and everything. Uh, So and then God relents. Uh, The letter from Paul is from Paul to Timothy, and the theme of that letter is that Jesus uh, came to save sinners, God, you know, and that God came to show us mercy. Uh, And Paul reminds us that he is the greatest of all sinners. He was a blasphemer. He was at the time murdering other Christians before he had his conversion. Uh, And then finally, we have another reading from the Gospel of Luke. There's a long version and a short version. The short version um, is that it's the parable with the, you know, the man who has a hundred sheep and one goes missing and he leaves the 99 behind to go seek out the one. And also about the woman who has uh, 10 coins and she loses one and she sweeps her whole house until she finds it. And then finally, in the long version, it also includes the very famous uh, parable of the prodigal son. So uh, really a great uh, a great grouping of readings. Uh, ones that are really well known by, by and large, except for maybe the story from Exodus. I think when most of us think of the book of Exodus, we think of just sort of like that movie Prince of Egypt. Like it ends after they cross you know, the Red Sea and Miriam singing, you know, he delivered us and, you know, they're banging their tambourines. No, as it turns out, the story isn't over there. Um, And the Israelites end up wandering for 40 years. And that 40 years of wandering uh, starts right about here where they're worshiping a golden calf and and putting up idols and just acting poorly. You know, in God's defense, (laughs) I'd be upset too if I just delivered a bunch of people, saved them from a lot of pain, suffering, and probably death. And then they started worshiping something else. No, exactly. When you when you go back and you remember the earlier parts of Exodus, um, every time God speaks to Moses, he's sort of introducing himself as I am, you know, he's the I am and all that. But he also references that he is the God of your father Abraham, the God of your father Isaac, you know, and he's literally, he's pointing out he is the faithful God who has been faithful to them through thick and thin, who promised an elderly man that he would create generations from him. And it's, it's what happened. Uh, it's our father in faith is Abraham and, and quite literally the father in faith of the Jewish people. Um, so it, yeah, it's interesting that he's reminding Moses all the time of his faithfulness to them. And meanwhile, the Israelites are down there not being faithful, not listening. And as a parent, I really identify with that. You know, like when we <laughs> do everything we can for our children, we set them up, we, we do everything we can. And then they're off like, I don't know, ripping the house to shreds and peeing in the corner. Like I could see that feeling of just like you are all going in timeout for 40 years. And when you're all matured then we can move on. Yep. So, it, and then we could take one and just make an example of that one. <laughs> yeah. There, Maybe not. No, sorry. no, there was some temptation. Um, so yeah, I, I found that really uh, an interesting reading. It's not as well known. And, and so the one, uh, the, the gospel of Luke is full of 
three really well, relatively well-known parables. I know the 99 sheep is really well-known where you leave the 99 and go to seek the one that's one of the good shepherd narratives. And then everybody and their dog knows the prodigal son. It's become sort of a common linguistic thing. Um, the prodigal son has returned. You know, yeah. When it could be just literally you went out on lunch break and someone says it, you know? Yeah, that's right. I've never had that said to me though. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess just to kind of start reflecting a bit before we get too far off, kind of comparing all of them to being uh, parents of our kids that enjoy <laughs> making us question our own beliefs. Uh, the the reading that really struck me, and they all drew my attention, but Paul's letter to Timothy uh, really, uh, I, I guess, spoke to me in a sense. Mm-hmm. The, the line it's not the exact line, but basically I'm summarizing Jesus came to save sinners. Mm. And it's, it's like, I, I know I've heard the story a few times, but the comparison of you only go to the doctor when you're sick. And, but in this case, the doctor is making a house call. Jesus came to us. He came to make us healthy in our spirit. And I think that, in, in a sense, we have to look at ourselves as sinners, but we are, we have the medication to make us healthy. You know, like, mm. if we look at our sin as, as a disease, uh, we can see Jesus and the cross mm. as an awesome health plan that is helping us to to be healthy to prepare to prepare for the kingdom exactly yeah well so this is one of the things like in our tradition uh, christ is often called the great physician Mm -hmm. um and it was literally you know uh, he's the healer he's the one so it's interesting you talk about treatment plans and that's sort of whatever our faith is it's not that christ comes in and it's like a magic bullet and all of a sudden we're fine um there is it's a journey because, you know, he can cleanse our sin, but we continue to sin. So it's about reforming our spirits, reforming our habits so that, um, you know, he can guide us into being more Christ-like through, but only through grace. It's like one of those things, you know, you can do all the right things with your health, but if you have an infection, you really do need antibiotics. Yeah, for sure. And, so. and because I have, you know, a long list of different um, medications that I need for different conditions, mm. um, it, it is interesting to make that connection because the different doctors that I am able to see, I am again able to make the connection that all the medicine is making me healthy. Mm-hmm. Like together, all these doctors are working as a team to bring me to a better health, to bring me to a place that I can be normal so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I feel that Christ is calling us to, to be healthy with him, that he will make us healthy, that he will make us whole in him. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess that's essentially, if, if I can make the leap into uh, the gospel, where um, the shepherd leaves his 99 sheep and goes for the one. Like, let's just assume to, to continue with the, the analogy of of being sick, 
that the 99 sheep are healthy mm-hmm. and the one uh, is sick or is lame or something. Mm-hmm. And the, the shepherd being the protector of these sheep would do everything it can to make sure that that one sheep doesn't lag behind, doesn't get caught by wolves, pretty much. Because in this, I mean, this is an interesting image, because if you were a shepherd back in these days, the days in which Christ was, you know, walking the earth, um, chances are if one sheep went missing, you would not leave your 99 sheep behind. That is a poor choice, uh, fiscally, for your own life, because chances are someone will take your sheep, or they will walk away because they are sheep and not very smart. You know, you don't go wandering off trying to find one sheep. But this isn't the way God works. Yes, there would be some economy in just letting people wander away uh, and just focusing on keeping the 99 strong and secure. But, you know, God is able to do both. God mm-hmm. is able to keep the 99 strong and secure and growing in faith while also rescuing the one that's lost. Yeah. Because each of us is precious. And that story is so well illustrated in the prodigal son story. Um where when the, just to skip to the end, when the son does finally come back after going and living in, you know, a terrible life and prostitutes and all the craziness, uh, when the son does come back and beg mercy, the father doesn't just wait for him to come home. It's the same idea. He goes out to meet him. He runs out to meet him uh, and immediately is is caring for him as though he had never left. You know, there was, I'm sure, some family discussion that would have to happen after the fact. And there's a very angry older brother to contend with in the story as well. But it, it's each of them mattered to the father. Neither of the son was above the other. They were both his sons. He loved them in their weakness and in their strength. Yeah. And, and I think being a parent, you know, I, I've, right, before I go into being a parent, <laughs> uh, I always looked at the prodigal son as, um, I can relate to the younger son, not that I you know, begged for money from my folks and, you know, went off and lived a life Quite that yeah. that young man uh, lived. It was more the fact that um, I felt like I needed to, to kind of live life and kind of experience things. Yeah. And the older son, uh, I felt a bit like him where, you know, I'm jealous of these feelings, these, or the attention he's getting, or the mm. fact that he... He can get away with everything. He squandered the money he was given, and now he wants more? I, I don't get... And that's, it's not an example of my family, the, the family I grew up with, but just more how I feel about certain people in my life, or certain situations I read about, or, or whatever. But for the first time in my life, really, when I was... De- discerning and praying on these readings I was able to look from the father's point of view mm-hmm. and it it actually I don't know it, it opened up a, like a whole new chapter of the story to me where mm-hmm. I was able to look at how that father must love his sons and um, I, I don't know if it was like this yeah, for you but but when I was growing up you know my brother and I would always try to get my parents to say, so which one of us do you love more? And my parents uh, very smartly would say, I love you each the same, equally. Which is, it's a great answer, especially because we're little kids and all that stuff. But I think 
to love each child that you have the same amount, but for different reasons. And in different ways. And in different ways. I mean, my brother and I, we share the last name, we share our parents, but a lot of our day-to-day life things are very different. But I know my parents still love me, and it's the same with our own our own children. Yeah. Where, um, and there are six uh, of them. Yeah. <laughs> and but I see something in each of them, and I love that this one thing in one of the kids, but I love the same amount of something in one of the other kids. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's an incredible witness to me to watch these kids grow, but also to pray with these readings because I can kind of, I can see what, what God must have been, been almost dreaming about when he held us in the palm of his hand mm. saying, I love you entirely. I love you. And, um, and I know focusing on God's love is not the only thing to do when we're reading scripture, but God's love is something that gets us through and something that will never, ever stop. So being able to personalize that divine feeling of God's love when I'm looking into the eyes of my children is something that I had never felt before. And it really, really opened my eyes this week. Yeah, I think I felt the same way um, when I was looking at it. It was it was one of those things where um, until, you know, until you have a kid, and this isn't, I mean, you can have this sort of feeling about anybody really, but when you get married, it's a similar mm-hmm. thing. Um, it's like unconditional love. It's the, it's the word everyone uses, but it's literally love without condition. Um, God loves us without condition. Now, he loves us enough not to leave us in our sin. But he loves us enough to let us sin if that is our will. Mm-hmm. Um, so that there's a beautiful moment, and this is the story of the father. Is the son is incredibly disrespectful. He's asking for his inheritance, which is about the same as saying, "Dad, I really wish you were dead because your money would be really useful right now." And can you imagine saying that to our parents? Yeah. How awful that would be. <laughs> I mean, beyond rude, beyond rude. But this father, he takes that and says, "You know what? Okay." Here's the money. Go. Let's his son make the mistakes he needs to make. And then when he comes back, he loves him without condition. You know, and there's a beauty in that. There's a, God's love is, is reckless in a way that he would give us heaven. He would let us be his sons and daughters, you know, equal, equal all across the board, whether we were good or bad, so long as we accept his mercy. And I mean, that's the kind of, parent I want to be, the kind of parent that loves my children unconditionally, is merciful, but also offers careful correction um, with the goal of helping them become who God wants them to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is, I don't know, it sort of comes back to God in, in the desert, leaving the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. He loved, the Israelites were his chosen people, and he loved them enough to say, you're still my children. I'm not going to smite you, even though I really want to right now. <laughs> Although, I mean, that's, anyway, we can talk about that, but I mean, it's just one of those funny things where you can see a little bit in that story, that's human emotion being put on God, which is not appropriate, but it gives the opportunity to show the mercy of God. It's so much clearer when you see that God could have been really wrathful about this, but he was 
just and merciful. Another connection I was making, just it kind of came to me as you were talking, um, where Moses begged God to show mercy. And I think there's so many times in our own lives where maybe not at the level of protecting an entire nation <laughs> that you're begging for mercy. But uh, in, in all sorts of situations, we often ask for forgiveness or mercy. And um, it really... I think connects us to our heritage through Moses where he begged God for mercy, like, you know, shower them with parental love. Mm. So there has to be correction. There has to be anger, but you don't have to wipe them out and start clean with me. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's the same thing. Like for, for those of us that are Catholic, we can go to confession and so long as our, our, um, so, sorry, so, so long as the prayers that we say are truthful, they're honest, they're where we are, who we are, and it's a conversation with God, through the priest with God, mm -hmm. that our confession is us begging for mercy. Mm -hmm. And, and there are times, you know, we have to, you know, swallow our pride and ask for forgiveness because we've done something to hurt someone else. Mm -hmm. And to, I guess, what I'm trying to say in all this is that it, it connects 2016 to the Old Testament, mm -hmm. the time of Exodus. I mean, I believe that that's an incredible, incredible feeling that I know God knew that we would make this connection, but at the same time, knowing that we had that connection with our heritage, mm -hmm. like it's like looking at a family tree that is growing forever and, and seeing that and feeling that is just, it's incredible knowing that we are just as human as all those patriarchs and matriarchs of our faith. Mm -hmm. No, I, I really like that. And I, I like too, that it shows, you know, it's not that God's mercy comes with a price, but God's fatherly love is of a quality that we should all aspire to. You know, and the the confession one is actually a really great one, because when we as Catholics go to confession, we are often, if not always, given a penance. Um, and it's the reason Lent is 40 days, is because it's penitential, and it's uh, 40 days in the Old Testament. Uh, the number 40 actually symbolizes in the Old Testament um, an amount that means enough. It was enough time. It was enough time for them to learn whatever it was they needed to learn. Uh, and so it's the same thing over Lent. We, we uh, fast and pray and give alms for enough time. So, yeah, I guess it's interesting to me that, you know, God gave penance to Israel for worshiping false gods. And we get uh, penance through um, the ministry of our priests that help us to be where we need to be to get us to Jerusalem, to get us to Israel, the land of milk and honey. So, you know, God always, always is working to our good. And I know our kids are like that too. Sometimes when we give them a punishment, they, I, we try to always make our punishments actually make sense to the, to the task. It's corrective. I mean, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's literally just like go sit and time out. But, you know, if they make a mess, their penance is to clean it up. And we talk to them about it, encourage them to see it that way. Yeah. We're not always perfect at that, but that has always been the intention behind it, that it's not just 
us being angry and lashing out and punishing. And this is the same thing as God isn't acting out of wrath. He's showing mercy. Yeah. He shows mercy to Paul. Because, I mean, honestly, he could have smote Paul also. He was out there uh, having Christians murdered and just uh, preaching against them in the streets. And then he sees Christ. Christ appears to him. And his whole life gets turned upside down. And rather than, you know, taking him then and that was it and, and just letting him be resigned to the fate that he had earned for himself, Christ gave him an opportunity to serve and over the course of that service be imprisoned um, and to do the penance he needed to do for the life he had lived up until that moment. Yeah. To And it wasn't, again, it's not a punishment. It's about changing who we are and growing into what God always wanted us to be. Yeah. And I, I think to make the connection with all three of the readings, the word mercy mm -hmm. uh, hits each one, each one of the readings. Mm -hmm. um, and to, to draw that connection, but that we, we too have to be merciful. We have to be able to, to just let trust that God knows what's best. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm saying that for myself, too, that I am that one sheep. I am the sinner that Paul is, is talking about. Mm -hmm. I am one of the many that is worshiping that golden calf. Mm -hmm. I am. But at the same time, the love from the great I am is, is the one that I have to trust. And I wonder how much, um, just in my experience over the years, how many of us really struggle with receiving mercy. I mean, giving mercy is a huge thing because we are very na by nature very selfish people. And mercy does not come to us naturally. It is a supernatural grace when we experience it. But in the same way, most of us don't receive mercy very well. Um, I know our kids do. I mean, that's another way I'd love to emulate our kids is that when you say you're sorry or when they say they're sorry to each other, there's a big hug and everyone gets back to business. They believe it. They believe it. They trust <laughs> They trust that we, and it's the same as they receive mercy. When they apologize and we say, it's okay, they have a, sometimes a little relief cry, you know, like that little, <sighs> especially yeah. one of our girls. Um, so it's, yeah, so it's a, a funny thing that kids in some ways have, a, have not been formed to be so prideful that they, you know, they still believe they deserve mercy when it's offered and that they can receive it. Now, as, as we're drawing close to the, the end of our podcast this week, um, we are reminded that it is um, the 15th anniversary of the September 11th um, attacks back in 2001. And I would like to, I, I guess, it was devastating what happened. Mm -hmm. We all remember what happened. We all seen the videos over and over again and we will be reminded for probably the rest of our lives of what happened mm. but that doesn't mean that a group of um, extremists uh, should paint be painted with the same brush as as those that love God in their own way mm. um, hate won't defeat hate and, and we must be strong and show mercy. Mm -hmm. 
also um, good friends of ours, the the Axworthies, uh, Adam and Aaron, and their sweet little girl Isabella. Uh, Isabella had had a liver transplant this this week mm-hmm. from her mom, and both Aaron and Isabella are doing very well, surprisingly well, miraculously and, well. Uh, we just I guess we'll have to mention them by name because they were in our prayers and on our hearts all week. But also, um, we want to thank you for prayers as well because we we truly believe in, in God's love through all this and the strength that he has given them because we know how, how difficult it must be for them. I can only mm-hmm. imagine. So knowing that they're supported, that they don't have to stand alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we want to thank you for, for your prayers of support for them. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, we're going to close and, um, it was a wonderful discussion on mercy. So why don't we ask God for mercy in prayer and uh, then we'll speak to you again next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this time together, uh, for time to reflect and discuss what it is you, you have planned in, in your mercy, in your love. Give us the strength to, to share your love with those that need to hear it, to be merciful to those who need mercy, to be forgiving to those who need forgiveness. But allow us to receive forgiveness and mercy as well. Uh, like we mentioned, um, we pray for, for the victims of uh, September 11th and we pray for the the rebuilding of communication between religions because that seems to be the strongest thing right now and again in thanksgiving for for Isabella Aaron and Adam that that everything has been has been well so far Uh, we ask this in your heavenly name Amen